listen to that intro music. It um, it is a bit cheesy uh, to say the least, but that's uh, that's the kind of budget I have here. Um, I, I was looking for some some great intro music, something that would um, you know maybe something by uh, some classic rock uh, artist, Steve Miller Band, something like that, or maybe even. Uh, uh, a more uh, Texas country Robert Earl Keen uh, uh, type sound for intro and bumper music and then realized how much it actually cost uh, to, to get the rights to play those things so found some places online for uh, for copyright free music and jingles for intro music and uh, uh, bumper music and that sort of thing so that's what we're stuck with uh, here on the Wade Powell Show. That's the other thing. I, I wasn't really sure what to call um, this podcast. I, I decided on the Wade Powell Show, I guess, until I come up with something uh, a little bit more interesting than the Wade Powell Show. What I did, I, I looked and thought, well, what are we going to call this thing? And and looked through what some other shows are called, how I could get creative with it. But I found that that uh, the the shows out there that uh, that are being listened to, you got the Rush Limbaugh Show, the Sean Hannity Show, the Dave Ramsey Show, the Mark Levin Show. Um, we've got uh, Tom Hartman Program, things like that. They're all just, uh, you know, Wade Powell Show type names, except for the Savage Nation, but I don't have a cool sounding name like Savage. Uh, I'm stuck with Wade Powell. So uh, what you've got today is the Wade Powell Show until I come up with something uh, that may be a little bit more creative. But uh, let me tell you about the show. Let me tell you what uh, what we're hoping to do here. I am a United Methodist pastor. Uh, currently, I am the, the pastor of Christ Fellowship United Methodist Church. We're on the northwest side of uh, San Antonio, Texas. Go Spurs, go. Uh, I'd, I'd give you the address of our uh, of our church, but we're currently in a building program. We are uh, we have been meeting in a dance hall uh, for several years now, but uh, we are uh, in the process of building an entirely new campus at another location, still on the northwest side of San Antonio. We've currently been meeting in Braun Hall, uh, and we're probably going to be there through the end of the year. Uh, 2017. Uh, I don't know when you're uh, downloading this and listening to this, but uh, December 2017 is kind of our expected timeline of transitioning to our new location uh, on Shanefield Road, uh, again in northwest San Antonio. Uh, either way, if you're listening to this, you want to check and see where we are. Uh, maybe our building project project was delayed. We hope not. Uh, if you're listening to this before the end of the year, um, Pray for us that uh, that the building project goes smoothly. But our website is uh, cfumcsa.org. Christ Fellowship United Methodist Church, San Antonio.org. Cfumcsa.org. Uh, again, northwest side of San Antonio. So, what we're going to do with the uh, with the podcast here is once a month on the on about the first Wednesday of each month. We'll do a talk format type show. Uh, we'll have special guests, uh, topical issues we'll discuss, the whole deal. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Bishop Will Williman. Um, so I'm excited about that, a little bit more about, uh, about our discussion in a moment. But uh, that's going to be on the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, we'll launch this uh, talk format uh, type program. Then the rest of the time... Uh, on the podcast. We'll come out every Monday with uh, sermons uh, from the previous Sunday, uh, like there are not enough podcasts out there of, of preacher sermons. We figured we'd throw ours into the mix as well. Uh, but again, today we have Bishop Will Williman uh, is going to be joining us uh, on the phone. And uh, I, I got, I've gotten a chance to get to know Bishop Williman uh, over the last couple of years. I enrolled in the uh, Doctor of Ministry program at Duke University. But even prior to that, uh, Bishop Williman uh, was just one of those theological heroes of mine. I, I read his book. I think the first book that I read of his was one called Calling and Character. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was a great book, but I had not uh, really read many theological or theology books or ministry books um, in that vein. Most everything I had read up to that point was fairly dry. 
I enjoyed reading Church Fathers and things like that. Saint August- now, St. Augustine, um, Confessions is certainly not, his book Confessions is certainly not dry, but uh, very much uh, still a different vein from, uh, from the way uh, Bishop Williman writes. It's one of those things where I would, uh, I would be reading, laying in bed reading it, and my wife would be laying reading whatever she was reading, and, and I'd get tickled, and I'd uh, elbow her and say, you got to listen to this, and I'd read her a passage, and she'd roll her eyes. Uh, and I just, uh, I just really enjoyed uh, his writing much more so than than I think my wife. But uh, uh, he was a, a, you know, one of these theological heroes of mine, a celebrity. Uh, he's United Methodist famous, you know. And, and uh, so when I enrolled uh, and got accepted into the uh, Doctor of Ministry program at Duke uh, and got my first class schedule, I was excited to see that he was going to be uh, my very first. Instructor, him along with uh, Craig Hill. Craig, of course, uh, is now the uh, dean of uh, Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. But uh, so saw that Bishop Williman was going to be uh, going to be our uh, first instructor, and I was excited because here I've got this guy that I considered certainly a celebrity uh, in United Methodism, and uh, and as I was doing some research here. Uh, I noticed uh, on Wikipedia, which I did not learn to go to Wikipedia from the Doctor of Ministry program at Duke, but uh, on Wikipedia, I found, uh, I think it said that uh, Bishop Williman is uh, one or two, one of the two most uh, most uh, uh, quoted pastors uh, by other pastors in sermons. So yeah, he's got that going for him. Um, so his he's got a new book out called Who Lynched? Willie Earl, and uh, we're going to talk to him about that. Um, Who lynched Willie Earl? It's a it's a book on confronting racism from the pulpit. Uh, he's encouraging pastors to confront it, and it uh, is a uh, a study basically on uh, an event that occurred in South Carolina uh, when uh, when Bishop Williman was a, a young boy, and I'll let him talk more about it. Uh, as we get him on the phone, but um, we're we're excited about having him uh, here with us today. Each of these uh, and, and today and and uh, what I'm hoping to do with uh, with this podcast, uh, both today with Bishop Williman on the phone uh, and down the road as I've been lining up future shows uh, for these talk format type shows, is is we're not going to shy away. From some of the controversial issues out there, I plan on talking to uh, my friend, uh, the Reverend Faith Timmons, about the Flint water crisis uh, up in Flint, Michigan. They've just had horrible, horrible uh, situation with their water for quite some time, uh, and and uh, I am privileged to call um, uh, Faith, uh, Pastor Faith, my friend. Now you all know Faith Timmons as the pastor. Uh, during the presidential campaign uh, that uh, that shut Donald Trump down as he spoke at her church. And she didn't really uh, shut him down. You know, if you listen to the headlines uh, that were coming out, no, I was getting so angry uh, at the time uh, of, of listening to both the left and the right position uh, my friend Faith in a way that I knew was not accurate. Uh, see, she uh, Donald Trump had gone to uh, gone to Flint, Michigan, to uh, to talk about the water crisis, and he ended up turning it into a very much a political speech uh, when he was when he was basically going to Faith's church, who's been at the forefront of uh, of helping people uh, through this water crisis, and he began to turning it into a, a political speech, and she shut that down. But she also uh, a little bit later, when someone began trying to heckle um, uh, then candidate Trump. Uh, she also shut down the heckler. That's something that a lot of people uh, didn't get, uh, didn't see, and it didn't get a whole lot of airplay. But uh, I just, uh, I just absolutely admire um, Faith uh, in in her handling of that situation. We're going to talk to her down the road, and we're also going to talk to her husband, who is the uh, conference coordinator for the uh, Flint water crisis for the United Methodist Church up there. So looking forward to talking to both of them. Uh, We're going to tackle other issues like immigration um, uh, down the road. We're going to talk about different issues, same uh, things like same-sex attraction and how that's uh, really confronting the United Methodist Church and other denominations as well. So we're not 
going to shy away from issues, but at the same time, um, we're going to we're going to try to discuss these things in a rational, rational, rational and reasonable manner. Um, you know, generally, I probably fall on the uh, more conservative, more orthodox. Uh, end of things. If you're wondering where I stand, is this going to be a liberal, uh, progressive type talk format, or is this going to be a, a conservative, orthodox uh, type program type podcast? Well, I, you know, uh, the truth of the matter is, full disclosure, I'm probably um, I skew more to the conservative, uh, more uh, orthodox side of things. Um, but at the same time, I think it's important. I think it's very important. Uh, that we open our eyes, open our ears, and actually listen to all sides. It's important for us to be in dialogue. So that's that's one of the things that I want to accomplish here, and and accomplish this dialogue in uh, in good faith. Accomplish this dialogue uh, in a way that we might actually be able to get things done, talk to each other rather than just simply at each other. And uh, Bishop Willeman. Uh, is is going to be a, a great uh, example here, uh, at least in the term in terms of the way uh, I have learned from Bishop Williman. Um, I think uh, when it comes to <laughs> what I agree with him on, what I don't agree with him on, I, uh, you know, Bishop is uh, he's a little bit more on the liberal progressive side of things than I am. But I will say this throughout um, throughout my uh, interactions with Bishop Williman, he'll say some outrageous things in my opinion from time to time. But I think he does so in love, and I think he does so with. Um, uh, you know, a, a real desire uh, to cause people to think. Uh, and he's certainly done that with me. Uh, it's, uh, it's important to, to not only listen to others, but to actually uh, evaluate our thoughts. Why, why do I fall on the more conservative end of things? And I've appreciated the way that he's, uh, that he's put things out there that sometimes cause me to take a step back, but at the same time, uh, think through uh, some of the different issues that he may be bringing up. Now, one of the th one of the issues we're going to talk about today is confronting racism uh, from the pulpit, and uh, I'm all about that. I'm all for that. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, and I'm sure that I'm not even very good at it. Uh, I know it's it's uh, it's just uh, it's one of those hot button issues uh, that we've had to face in uh, uh, in in the church. Uh, and in society lately, but one of the things that uh, that I expect, well, <laughs> one of the things that I know about uh, Bishop Williman is that we we have to expect uh, that we really don't know what to expect uh, when we're talking to to Bishop Williman, except that he will hit us between the eyes with something that um, will at least make us think. Uh, and I appreciate about that about him. And of course, he's a wellspring of great stories, so I expect to hear some uh, some incredible stories from him as well. Um, I, you know, I remember I preached one time on uh, uh, women as pastors. How important, how great it is uh, that the United Methodist Church has female pastors. And uh, after the sermon, I had a, a couple come up to me. And say, you know, I just don't know about that sermon. Um, I, they said, we're going to have to think about your sermon. And I said, good, that's exactly what I want. Please do. Uh, so uh, hopefully they did. Hopefully uh, uh, they are in support of women as pastors today. But uh, few people are able to get me to think more than Bishop Williman. And of course, my wife. So uh, when we come back, when we come back in a few minutes, we'll get Bishop Will on the phone and uh, see where the discussion takes us. Hey, Bishop, how are you? Great, great. great. <laughs> Very good. We, uh, uh, I guess, have gone back and forth enough here. My wife was calling. I have a 16-year-old son, and they were uh, they were at the orthodontist and came across a, a cheap 
clunker of a pickup and wanted me to check that out and see if. Uh, oh my, so. Oh my. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, important. Those, those fun days. Uh, so. Yes. Yeah. Well, great. It's. Uh, I appreciate you uh, agreeing to visit with me uh, here. I've already started us recording here, so uh, we're in okay. good. We're in good shape and, there. Uh, you you can edit this, can't you? I can. I can. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um. Well, hey, you know the the, the name of uh, your newest book is Who Lynched Willie Earl, and uh, I want to spend some time talking about it uh, about the book. But you know, it's been several weeks now since we've talked, and and I got to admit that I I miss your wit and wisdom. So uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what's uh, what's going on in uh, Bishop Will's world? What's uh, what's your focus uh, these days? Uh, I'm looking forward to the summer. And I've got some projects I'm undertaking for the summer. I'm going to be teaching in uh, Australia in uh, July, so I'm looking forward to that. I always learn a lot from these cross-cultural opportunities. Uh, But uh, that, uh, and then I'm, of course, like all uh, United Methodists, uh, at least those in charge of things, I'm uh, interested in how the Judicial Council will rule. Right. In the uh, Bishop Alvetto case, and yeah. uh, just got word about the uh, setting up of the uh, annual conference, the, uh, general the new conference. Uh, general conference in what yeah, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what do you what are your thoughts there? What are, What are your thoughts there? <laughs> you know, do you I'm, want to share I'm them? Really not. I'm not a party to any of the conversations. Uh, and I, I really haven't been active in the Council of Bishops since I stopped being an active bishop. But, uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I wish them well, but I'm, I do think, uh, you know, it, it looks like a, a, a great challenge ahead Certainly. Uh, for the United Methodist Church. I, uh, you know, after having been at the last five um general conferences which were unable to come up with any sort of uh, real compromise or solution to our plight uh, I uh, am not that excited about another general conference <laughs> that supposedly is going to come up with something that the previous five couldn't Right. so uh, I, I don't find myself really you know all that excited or hopeful well, that. you know, and, and that's uh, one of the things that I'm wanting to do with this with this new endeavor of uh, trying my hand at podcasting here is, is talking about some of these different issues that the church faces. And, uh, and you know, I, I think so much of the time, especially when it comes to, to some of the more uh, uh, difficult issues, uh, the more uh, hair trigger type issues, uh, we we tend to talk at each other and and uh, preach at each other and, and rarely have you know dialogue with each other and, yeah. and uh, you know yeah. that's one of the things I'd love to do is is get some of the folks from uh, from this commission on the way forward and uh, and talk uh, to them uh, one how they have actually gone about being in dialogue with each other uh, and two uh, the difference between uh, standing up at the different uh, general conferences and and uh, shouting rhetoric from one side or the other yeah i uh the bishops have been getting really kind of reports from the finding of the way forward but those have been uh, unrevealing <laughs> they've um uh, mainly been reports of devotionals they've had and right and all i i, I do i wish this could be solved by devotionals <laughs> uh i uh so I really have no idea. I'm not sure anybody outside the Finding the Way Forward group has an idea of where they are. Uh, but it would be good. I I do think. Uh, what you know, as a pastor, um, uh, the controversy debate uh, when people hold divergent views um, that that often takes a argument, and it does mean that that sometimes the, no matter how hard you try and how good intention you are, that it ends up with some people feeling 
uh, really unhappy about the outcome. Yeah. And uh, I remember a, a book uh, that I have always found helpful by Anthony Robinson, uh, Leadership, Transforming Leadership in the Church. Um, he says it's, it's very important to, uh, to not demand a, a consensus and to, uh, to, to get some sense of the tenor of a congregation on, on some subject and then move forward and uh, ask people to uh, let, let you move forward. And if, and if, but, but he also warns there will be some people who just can't go. Mm-hmm. in the direction the group goes. And I do, uh, I wonder if we may find ourselves in a situation like that. Uh, I think the situation is aggravated and maybe even due uh, to the, the troubling trend in Methodism, United Methodism over the last 50 years, I guess, as long as I've been a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is kind of top-down organizational uniformity, uh, general conference seeing itself as making rules for the church and rules that are passed down to the annual conferences and all, uh, which has left us with a uh, an organization that is really hard to adapt uh, to different circumstances that makes no allowances for regional differences or even, you know, big differences within the United Methodist Church. Right. And I, so I think it's the task of uh, moving forward, therefore, is really daunting. Uh, particularly, one of my pet peeves is the way General Conference has intruded over the last 50 years into the ordination process. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, that was great when we decided, hey, all United Methodist ministers ought to have an MDiv degree. And so uh, that, that was imposed uh, by General Conference. Uh, I'm in favor of MDiv degrees uh, for our elders. However, uh, we continued. And now we have, I think it's like 30, 35 pages on qualifications for being clergy that have been added by successive general conference. And that seems to me a violation of historic Methodism, which said, you know, uh, to be a Methodist minister is to be a member of an annual conference. It's to be voted into that annual conference. Right. And um, it's an annual conference determined ordination. And I do not see what would be wrong with annual conferences determining who should be a member of that annual conference, who should be ordained. But there do seem to be Methodists who just don't trust the annual conference uh, to do the right thing for the annual conference. And so that's, we've had all this legislation from general conference. Right. So right. I think it's, it's tough. Right. Well, and, and I know uh, uh, a good while back, you and I had a brief conversation about, uh, I think it was, was, I can't remember now if it was before um, uh, the election of uh, Bishop Oliveto, but uh, it was either just before or just after. We were talking about uh, some things, and and uh, and I think that was one of the things that you had mentioned is uh, uh, whoever is the bishop out in the uh, Western Conference has little effect on whoever is the bishop in uh, in the other conferences. Right, so. right. And, uh, yeah, and I... You know, um, I, I do think we're paying a heavy price for the uniformity, the top-down mandates. Uh, I used to say, when I was Bishop of Alabama now, now what, how, how does it really hamper the ministry of our annual conference if California Methodists decide they need a, a certain qualities from their clergy that we don't think we need? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, uh, you know, my attitude is if if uh, California Nevada Annual Conference can find anything that will give them a future, mm-hmm. uh, because their future doesn't look very bright, mm-hmm. 
with numbers and all, uh, hey, go for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, because uh, you are really in rapid decline. Right. Well, you know, uh, in in kind of going down that uh, going down that path and and uh, bringing it back to some of. Uh, uh, you know, preaching against uh, against racism. One of the things that that I have found that that I really admire, um, and that I, I think it's kind of a lesson. What we've been talking about here is is the way you write and also the way you present yourself. And I think maybe I have uh, keyed in on uh, this about your writing uh, after having been around you the last couple of years. Uh, is there's a and I mean this in in the in the in a very good way. I, the way I. The way I see it, there's a there's a bit of a humble arrogance to your writing, and what I what I mean by that is what I mean by that, you know, is that you're not afraid to make bold assertions with confidence, but at the same time you do so with this aw shucks I'm just a kid from South Carolina <laughs> attitude, and and you know it, in many ways it can be can be very convicting and endearing at the same time. You know, I'm I'm probably a little bit more on the conservative end in, in my leanings uh, than uh-huh. you, but, um, you know, I, I, I think the fact that, uh, that you take from, you know, you go from, from, from being able to make these bold assertions, it's caused me really to be able to in your in in reading uh, your books and things that you've written and and uh, listening to you as well, it's caused me to to also think about why I hold positions I do. Do I do it just because I found myself on on the right side of particular issues or what have you? And and uh, I, you know it's really caused me to think about these things. Uh, at a much deeper level, and and I, I really appreciate that. Um, and it's oh, thank you. softened me <laughs> in many ways. I got to say, I, the the fact that you almost uh, uh, dedicated fear of the other to Donald Trump and Ben Carson and Ted Cruz, <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Um, you know. uh, well, uh, somewhat tongue in cheek. Although uh, I think we're looking for reasons uh, to be grateful for the present political climate uh, maybe what it does it does um, provoke some debate and some uh, I think for all of I remember years ago I had a kind of debate or discussion with Jerry Falwell mm-hmm. and when he was talking about the need to elect godly legislators and and uh, we've got to take back Congress and that kind of thing and I said uh, you know Jerry you're a you're a Methodist. I mean, you're, you know, we bought into that notion that, hey, there's nothing wrong that we can't fix politically using secular politics and political savvy. Um, and I said, I just think we paid a huge price for that theologically and, and in many other ways. Um, and that uh, I think the price is too high uh, considering what we get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I, I do think uh, uh, maybe this present like political climate is for us to, uh, there's an opportunity for us to say, you know, Christians, we actually don't believe the United States of America in whatever form it takes is, is the key to the future, is the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't believe democracy is the hope of the world. Uh, we, we believe Jesus Christ is. And uh, Jesus Christ provokes some creative, very different thinking about things from the way the world thinks about things. Right. So, well, you know, that's 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 uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, the mindset from the uh, uh, Resident Aliens uh, book, which was phenomenal. That uh, that uh, you wrote with Stanley Hauerwas. Yeah, that's kind of maybe Resident Aliens thinking. Right. Uh, there are some who have misinterpreted that as some kind of retreat from politics. We've said, no, it's just, it's politics taking to a higher level right. and a, a different concern. And uh, I think, um, you know, uh, I predict uh, that, that Donald Trump will be uh, a cause for a lot of people thinking, gee, I'm a conservative, but wow, is, is this conservatism? 
<laughs> and, uh, and many in the Republican Party seem to be thinking that right now. Uh, and I do, but but hey, that that'll be a good time to to think things through. And uh, it's well, a great yeah. time to be preaching <laughs> because we we have lots of things to preach about. Certainly. Well, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of moving towards that preaching. Uh, discussion about uh, about your book, Who Lynched Willie Earl. Um, you know, what I, I guess one of the things that I want to ask uh, about all of that is is uh, this is a true story. Um, uh, the lynching of Willie Earl is a, a true story that happened when you were um, a young boy, uh, um, one year infant, old, right, a little baby yeah. bishop, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, it, you know, in the book, you mentioned that it's not really something you were aware of until uh, college, I think. And yeah. um, But has this been something that's kind of haunted you ever since? Is it, has it been something that you have wanted to write about? Uh, or, yeah. or has the current climate kind of pushed you more uh, to do it? Well, it, it has been something that I always want to write about. I, I must say it's, it's sadly maybe more relevant now than I intended right. for it to be. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I mentioned it in the Who Lynched Willie Earl, I mentioned about Harper Lee's uh, last book, mm-hmm. uh, Go right. to Set of Watchmen, right. in which she talked about Jean um, uh, uh, is, is now a, a young woman and she comes back and finds that Atticus Finch is not the kind of heroic figure she thought he was as a child. Right. He is a man of his times, a segregationist Southerner and and all. And um, I said in a review of that book that it that that's sort of the path that a lot of people walk uh, in the South where you discover our history. I would think it's a path that is not unknown in Texas uh, where right. you grow up thinking, wow, uh, these good people did a lot of things that were questionable. Uh, how do those things affect our own day? How can we be more faithful in our own time? Uh, and uh, so it, it was an obsession in that sense. And uh, also, as a Methodist preacher, uh, I think Holly Lynn, the young Methodist preacher who despite all odds, spoke out and preached a stirring sermon, which he entitled, Who Lynch Willie Earl? Mm-hmm. And the gist of the sermon is, uh, we did, uh, in our jokes and our support of segregation in the South, we produced the climate that produced this lynching. And uh, in that regard, I think I'm, I'm obsessed that all it in is an exemplar uh, for contemporary clergy and a time when a clergy person spoke up. Alas, he was all too rare um, in speaking out against the lynching. And uh, but you know, in all that, I think it is uh, he is someone worth pondering, and I do so in the book, analyze the sermon, hoping that I will both encourage myself and my fellow preachers to uh, speak up and speak out. Right. Uh, particularly in regard to America's original sin, as Jim Wallace's term, uh-huh. uh, racism. Yeah. Well, and you know, for for those that uh, may that haven't read the book yet, uh, basically, uh, uh, can you give just a, a, a thumbnail? Obviously, uh, Willie Earl uh, was in was in jail and was pulled out of yeah. jail, if I remember right. Uh, he and was killed. a young black man awaiting was in jail, had not been charged yet right. in the murder of a white cab driver and uh, robbery. And uh, his first night in jail, a mob came over from my hometown in Greenville of uh, cab drivers who saw themselves as avenging the death of their comrade. And they dragged him out of jail without any resistance uh, from the jailer. And uh, they... Uh, uh, tortured him to death out on uh, 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 right outside of Greenville and uh, that was of course a terrible tragedy but then three months later they had a trial 
And even though 23 of the 30 men had signed confessions supervised by the FBI, uh, a Greenville jury uh, led by some of the finest legal minds in Greenville at the time acquitted them all. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a double tragedy. And uh, But the, the main reason that I... Uh, have focused on this story is there was a young preacher who had just arrived in town in Pickens, South Carolina. He was a widow. His wife had died in childbirth, so this poor man was there in his 20s and had a baby to care for and was still grieving for his wife. And on top of that, two months after he got to Pickens, uh, Grace, United, Grace Methodist Church burned to the ground. And so he was meeting in an agricultural room in high school. Uh, so he had all these reasons why he should keep his head down and just try to survive. But he immediately called a public meeting. The public meeting was uh, disrupted by a group who said the lynchers ought to be given a reward for saving the county a lot of money. Uh, and then uh, the day after there, he started to work on a sermon, which he preached the next Sunday called Who Lynched Willie Earl? Mm -hmm. And I, I think he is just a, an exemplar. He, he saw this terrible tragedy as, as a, a kind of call from God to uh, speak up and speak out. Uh, it's also amazing if you read the sermon. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a pretty, it's a strong condemnation uh, of segregation and all, right? Uh, and the racism and and white supremacy, but. Uh, it's also amazing that when he looked back on this event 30 years later, uh, he couldn't remember any resistance from the church. And in fact, Grace Methodist Church in Pickens, when they published a history of the church some years later, they included a copy of Hawley's sermon in their history. Mm -hmm. And it's the only sermon they remembered. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a, I think it is an exemplary story, not only of a courageous young preacher but also of a congregation that was willing to hear the truth sure uh, from that young preacher well so so when you when you become familiar with the story of of the of the lynching uh and and start looking into this did did holly lynn's sermon did it jump right out there you, you mentioned it was it was uh, archived at the church but were you were you already familiar with holly lynn and yeah. his sermon and everything yeah you know if you're a methodist preacher in south carolina there's a good chance you've heard of the sermon. The sermon was okay. reprinted, was okay. printed on the front page of the South Carolina Methodist Advocate uh, shortly thereafter. Then Holly wrote a prayer uh, for the sin of lynching, mm -hmm. uh, and it was published in the South Carolina Methodist Advocate. So the story of Holly Lynn, and he was still active. He was a superintendent when I joined the conference in the early seventies. You know, it's kind of part of the lore. Uh, I think we clergy are dependent on exemplars. And sure. I remember somebody telling me when I was a young pastor, uh, choose your mentors carefully. <laughs> choose your models. And uh, that he was a worthy model. And so I, I knew about the sermon. And a friend of mine uh, who preceded me as a student at Walter College, Will Gravely, mm -hmm. Uh, who's longtime professor at University of Denver and civil rights activist? He is doing the definitive history of Willie of the Willie Earl lynching and the trial afterwards. Uh -huh. This is coming out University of South Carolina Press in a year or so. And uh, but I wanted to focus on this as a Christian, as a church moment. Sure. Well, so so let's go there. Uh, you know, the purpose it seems of of the book. Uh, is to encourage uh, preaching against racism, specifically white preachers preaching to white congregations uh, against racism. And now, yeah. over the last uh, few years, I think I've become increasingly aware that I'm mostly ignorant when it comes to racism. I'm, I'm totally unqualified, and I'm, I'm afraid uh, often that I might say something stupid out of my ignorance, but... Yeah. Uh, since I read your book, I've, I've preached once uh, confronting racism um, in, in my church. I, I think it's only a start. There's, there's so much more that has to be said. Uh, but those same 
fears that I have, um, I think, exist uh, within me. So, so you know, how do we pull up our big boy uh, and big girl preacher britches uh, and, and and do it? You know, I, I come at this like you from a from a privileged, the perspective of a of a privileged white guy. You know, what do I know? Uh, and and really, truly, I'm I'm not so much. And in my context, I have. Uh, uh, it's predominantly white in my congregation, but we have uh, quite a few Hispanics uh, and uh, African Americans as well. Um, and to be honest, I'm not afraid of offending the whites so much as I'm afraid of offending people of color with my stupidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, well said. And, and uh, as part of my research for the book, I interviewed lots of pastors uh, and... If there's any comfort, uh, what you've just articulated is a predominant response from white pastors who are on the right side of these issues and care deeply about them. Uh, they also realize it's uh, it's difficult. And uh, what right have we as white preachers to speak up in behalf of African-Americans or behalf of anybody? Uh, I will say that, you know, for us preachers, um, you know, we routinely speak up. We speak up for the poor. We speak up for the dispossessed. We speak up for the unborn. Uh, so, um, but I, I, in the book, I, I try to say, hey, white preachers, uh, go ahead, speak up. Uh, if someone uh, uh, corrects you, uh, say an African-American member of your congregation says, uh, hey, I was kind of bothered by the way you stated that say oh help me state it differently uh, I know one pastor who wanted to speak up after the Charleston massacre Mother Emanuel sure. uh, he said I only had four African American members of my congregation but I worked on a sermon and then I asked him would you just look over this well one of them said uh, you know I'm really uncomfortable being put in a position of approving or disapproving anything my preacher Says and the preacher said, I'm, I'm not asking for approval of this, but I'm asking for help. <laughs> you know, I want to say this well, and I care so much about it. And he was saying they were very, uh, in the sermon, I think he mentioned about uh, oh, uh, the team that had gone to somewhere in Africa, uh, Liberia or somewhere, and had done a clinic and all, and he said this is a model of racial justice and uh, uh, love and the African American member said, "You know, we get kind of tired of white people talking about helping poor, oppressed black people in Africa. <laughs> uh, there's, there's work to be done here, and uh, why don't you try to think of an illustration here?" And uh, he said, "Gosh, that was very helpful." Right. And uh, so um, I just urge preachers wade into it. I, in the book, I try to give some guidelines I, I try to give some help uh, uh, 80% of my sources that I cite and I got a lot of footnotes in the book uh, are African American authors or people of color um, trying to survey the literature in behalf of my clergy colleagues and so I try to let African Americans speak on the other hand I, I say we've got some things to do I know at the Divinity School where I teach right. when we wanted to have a discussion about this with clergy uh the administration was very nervous saying you know uh, we just think you ought to get the approval of the black church studies office and and all and i said well you know this is (laughs) this is a book by a white preacher (laughs) uh, addressing my fellow white preachers of predominantly white congregations and we don't have the same work to do uh in a predominantly african-american congregation And uh, so people are cautious. Um, however, I, you know, preachers at our best, we we generally we talk. And then when somebody in the congregation says, "Well, I was offended by what you said," or "I, I didn't understand what you said," or "I wish you'd said it differently," we say, "Oh, great! Thank you for listening. Uh, hey, <laughs> how about coffee on Tuesday? Let's talk about this." Right. And uh, you. Uh, uh, I, more than once, I remember I would we had like Wednesday night suppers and then some kind of study or discussion afterwards. 
and I'd say on Monday, hey, I've gotten so much reaction to the sermon and questions about it that I have the Wednesday night supper time uh, for discussion and talk and give me a chance to say it differently or better and give everybody a chance to give their response. Uh, so uh, yeah. I, do, I hope people will speak. And uh, uh, Well, the, the, one, uh, the, the one sermon that I have preached uh, uh, you know, regarding uh, uh, racism, uh, at, at, after the nine o'clock service, I, I was visiting with an African American woman uh, who uh, who's just wonderful, and uh, I asked her. I said, "Well, <laughs> well mm-hmm. what do, what do you think?" <laughs> and she she smiled and uh, looked at me lovingly and said, "Well, do you want the truth?" Or do uh, <laughs> and I said yes, give me the truth, and and she and she did. She she uh, 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 gave me some great feedback and was appreciative uh-huh. that that uh, that I was listening uh, and had listened previously. And uh, I think that was that's one of the big preaching is important, but it's hard to do that without first listening. And it oh, yeah. it shaped. Yeah. It shaped then the eleven o'clock sermon uh, somewhat uh, in, in how it was pre- presented, but uh, yeah, you've got to listen. And I think uh, that's a beautiful illustration of how there's a sense in which this conversation is so painful and so conflicted, and is so deep. It's related to uh, politics and social order and systems and it's also related to the human heart uh for all those reasons the church <laughs> I'm, I'm almost tempted to say uh hey don't talk about the subject unless you're <laughs> talking about it in a church with fellow christians right where you're trying to hear them uh i've got a wonderful sermon by tom berlin who's a distinguished methodist pastor in uh, virginia and uh he preached a series of four sermons and uh he said, uh, this is going to be a 20-minute African-American white supremacy lecture. And I want you to listen because I've been doing a lot of research on this, and I think it's very important that we white people, uh, we get our facts straight. And, and he talked about African-Americans being excluded from the VA, VI, the, uh, the uh, GI Bill and Social Security. And all. But then at the end, he said, now, if you look in your bulletins, there's we're going to have a program called Dinner for Six, and we're going to have everybody around tables, and um, there'll be uh, half uh, people will be people who look like me, and half people will be people of color, some of whom are in this congregation. And uh, we're going to have you eat a good meal and then discuss six questions mm-hmm. and uh, as Christians. And you'll be challenged to talk as Christians about this. Now, so anyway, uh, then he said, now you will sign up for when it suits you to be there and your family and drop it in the plate. Anyway, I thought it was wonderful. He, he sort of said in his sermon, he said, I know many of you are in agony over this. Many of you wish progress could be made, something can be done. Well, you've come to the right place. Um, and uh, we'll help you do that. I, th- I thought it was great. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, um, Bishop, I, I, I'd love to visit all afternoon, but I know we both got things to do. I'm sure. Maybe we can visit well, again. I don't. I don't know if if you're going to be writing a book in Australia or reading books in Australia. No, I'll be reading. <laughs> I need to. I need to stop writing and be reading. What's your but, reading uh, list? Thank you, Wade. And I think it's uh, now more than ever in our church. It's impo- It's so important to have public conversation and talk and uh, among one another so i think your podcast is uh, perfectly timed well i so I've, thank you i've got to uh, i've got a, a shout out to uh, to olivia uh, who uh, we uh, we both know uh, oh, you yeah. know she and i probably skew about as far from the center from each other on opposite sides you know <laughs> she she leans a little bit to the left i lean a little bit to the right and, and one of the things that, and I think this was somewhat of the inspiration uh, for what I'm doing here, is that uh, we would have these great conversations um, in the hotel lobby and after class and during lunch and things like that. 
And um, it, it just, it, it was one of these situations where we'd look at each other and go, why can't the church talk like this? Why can't the church oh, yeah. have these discussions? Yeah. So uh, I, I hope that that's what we're going to be able to do, face some of these issues right. and, and deal with Me it. Too. But uh, again, I, I certainly appreciate it. The new book is Who Framed Willie Earl? And uh, again, who thank you. Earl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who Earl? Yeah. Who, who Framed Roger Rabbit? Who lynched Willie that, Earl? That's right. That's a different you movie. Know. Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Who lynched you, Willie Earl? So much. I appreciate it, and God bless okay. you, my friend. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Oh man, don't I feel like an idiot? Who framed Willie Earl? The book is called "Who Lynched Willie Earl." See, this uh, fear of saying something stupid isn't completely unfounded, uh, but that's not the first dumb thing I've ever said. Certainly won't be the last dumb thing. I ever say, but uh, that's the chance we take by putting our thoughts out there for the world to hear. Some of us take bigger chances than others, but uh, this wraps up podcast number one for the Wade Powell Show. Thanks again to Bishop Williman for uh, joining me. Pretty cool to have him for the first show. However, uh, several months from now, when I finally got the hang of this, hopefully I'll go back and listen to today's show and probably just cringe. But uh, it's done, it's in the can, and and I appreciate all y'all in Texas. See, that's not redundant. I appreciate all y'all for listening. Uh, In the meantime, you can see us at Christ Fellowship United Methodist Church in San Antonio. Visit us on the web at cfumcsa.org or find us on Facebook. Uh, You can download our sermons each Monday uh, and catch other conversations, uh, the conversational shows on uh, the first Wednesday of every month. Until then, God bless you. Adios.